if you had a coach who said that I'm going to count my rebounds and that's going to be the most important I pay attention to, I'm not going to pay attention to so much down my baskets they made. I'm just going to talk about rebounds. You'd lose. And so what I'm saying is, is that the most important thing for you to pay attention to, and I'm going to show you how to do it, is the subgroups, okay? Because accountability and achievement are not the same thing, and people get them confused all the time, okay? Achievement is about individual test scores, but accountability is how you, num it's your numbers, and it's how this decides whether you're going to be a focus school or not. And I want to say this. Here's the problem. I'm telling all of you this. So first of all, I am personally distraught about how educators are taught, okay, and how educators are treated, okay. And I feel like we're held to two sets of rules, one that's behind the scenes that the, the feds and the states use, and ones that's on the table that we know about. And my job is to tell you, okay, here's the rules. Here's the real rules, and here's how you do it. And if you want to do it, you can, but I'm going to tell you the real rules. So they're not the same thing. And so let me tell you why. What is the new norm that our scores are being compared to? State norms or national norms per the common core? One of the things I have to tell you is this. It's larger than state and feds. Let me tell you the big issue. The big issue, uh, and if you want to read more about it, uh, you can read Ray Dalio. I don't know if any of you follow Ray Dalio, but he runs a huge hedge fund in uh, New York City, and he also has an educational foundation, D-A-L-I-O, Ray Dalio. Um, he's brilliant. But let me explain. I've been to China three times, all right? Here's the issue in a nutshell. What the feds are terrified about, what the Federal Reserve Board is terrified about, is economic competition. And let me explain what's driving it. Okay. China has 1.3 or 4 billion people. Okay. I've been over there. They're pretty, I have to say, three times, they're fairly dismissive of the US. They believe that the US is weak and undisciplined, okay? And one of the things is they said, basically, in essence, this is what he said to me, we have 1.4 billion people. You only have 360 million people in the United States. You have 25% of your populace that's college educated. So that's about seven, let's be kind, that's 75 million people. He said, if we get to 10% of our population college educated, okay, that's 140 million. He said, if we get to 20% of our, our group, our country to be college educated, that's 240 million. If we get to 30%, that's 360 million. That's more people than you have. He said, you literally can't compete. So the bottom line is now what you have. And by the way, the data that we get out of China, that they're so much far ahead of us, that's not even accurate because they don't keep track. They only keep track of 20% of their kids, okay? But the bottom line, it's the top 20%. So what we are looking at is that we are being compared, all right? But it's a numbers game. So what the feds are looking at 
is how are we going to stay competitive, all right? So that's the huge push. That's what P20 and P16 is about. That's why the huge push for STEM and STEAM, okay? Now, what happened is how are we going to drive that? Well, what gets, what gets monitored is what people pay attention to. So the understanding is if you want to drive development, you drive the measurement tool. Now, here's the problem in a nutshell. When states started looking at this, this is the difference between achievement and accountability, okay? When states started looking at this, then they had to figure out how are we going to figure out how we spend money? And state departments have a problem across the United States. State departments have this problem. If they let their test scores get too high across the state, then you can't go back to the legislature and ask for more money. If you let your state if scores get too low, then businesses won't relocate to your state. If you make your tests too easy, then against NAEP, National Assessment of Educational Progress, you, you, you do badly. So people say your tests are too easy. If you make your tests too hard, too many students fail. If test scores are low, businesses won't relocate and parents get furious. So what happens is most states keep their state average for test results somewhere between 60 and 84%, okay? It's a, it's a kind of camel-humped, bell-shaped curve. Legislatures go to state departments and they say, look, we want state assessment. I talked to a group of administrators in Arkansas when Arkansas went to state uh, assessment. Walmart went to them and said, look, we want state assessment and we want you to start in kindergarten. The educator said it's too young to test them. And what Walmart said to the state of, of uh, Arkansas, you don't get tests in here. We're moving to a different state. So, so, yes, in many ways, it's a competition we can't win. We can win it, but not the way we're playing the game right now. And that's what I want to explain to you. You can win it. OK, but you have to. You have to know the rules, okay? Um, shouldn't test companies be nonprofit to avoid conflict of interest? Um, that's a good question. Uh, the bottom line is they're not. Um, so one, we can we can talk about how they actually get tests if you if you wish next time. But the bottom line on this whole thing is is that as we started looking at it, when it, when legislatures go to state departments and they say you're going to assess, then state departments do what is called an RFP, request for proposal. And they send these out to testing companies. Well, only there's only three or four testing companies right now. But in there, they say what they want the state average to be. Okay. The number, they want an average of X number of kids to pass this state assessment. And the way test companies manipulate that is through called p-value. It's the percent value of the question. I'll explain that next time. Okay. But the bottom line is what they do, and all the testing companies, okay, all the testing companies then collect these items, all right? And what they do is they give them a p-value, and in all these RFPs, they'll say to state departments, you must give us the right to test new questions in the tests we give. We are going to add new questions to the test that don't count against the kid's test score, 
but we're field testing them to get p-value. That's how they get new items. By the way, who actually writes test questions for test companies? Nope, it's not teachers. It's graduate students. It's graduate students who, uh, from from, uh, colleges and universities, they pay them to write questions. The bottom line is um, very few of them have been educators. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk about now what state departments will do is they'll group of they'll get a group of educators in to go over test questions and analyze them and review them for testing companies, but they're not actually developed by educators. Okay. Now, how can we change this? Well, we can't change everything, but we can actually get we can, there's a lot you can do about it, which I'm going to show you how to do and how to figure it out. All right. Now, yeah, you can vote, but Voting, uh, one of the things is that voting, uh, the dynamics of this is that there's a marriage between, I can tell you, the Texas legislature meets every two years. And when they meet, Pearson has at least 20 lobbyists in that legislature. So, yeah, it's it's distressing, but... (laughs) I always kind of debate whether to share this or not, but you you guys deserve to know the reality. And then I'm going to show you how to deal with it. All right. Um, So the one of the things then is this. I just need to explain a few more pieces. What happens on accountability is this. Okay. In order for states to keep track of their numbers, they have to measure growth accurately. Remember, we're back to Larry Lazat and Ron Edmonds. We're looking at equity and excellence. The reason we're looking at equity is it's a civil rights issue. The reason we're looking at excellence is it's a competition issue. So you're looking at equity and excellence. And where are people in that? And they're defining equity by subgroups. Now, testing companies will tell you that you could only measure growth accurately by either quartile or quintile. So if you look at the state of the state of has broken it down into five categories, all right? So I'm going to show you in a bit a tool you can use to figure things out. And you're not responsible for just who shows up. You're responsible for everybody that's on your roster, okay? So I noticed one of the things I'm going to start showing you is your five, your PLAC, your PLC five-step process. And there's some things in there that you need to add and some changes because one of the things on your PLC five-step process is this idea that you look at the kids you've tested. That's wrong. Okay. And I'm going to explain you why. Okay. Now, here's what happens. It's accountability. States have this problem. They have a limited budget. Okay. So let me ask you, how many of you have ever curved a grade? How many of you have curved a grade before? Yeah, we all have. Okay, the state does the same thing. What they do, because they aren't sure from year to year how their state scores are going to show up, they use the standard deviation to curve the grades. And so they take all the scores, figure them out, okay, And then what they do is they curve the grade against the standard deviation norming thing. And one of the things they do is then feds require that state departments identify the bottom percent of schools in their state. 
in terms of equity and excellence, okay? And right now is focusing on equity, which is subgroups. So one of the things you have to do is look at your subgroups, which is about equity, okay? And state departments don't have enough money. So what they figure out is this, how are we going to decide who we can help? So you notice you have priority and focus schools. It's a way they're gradating who we give more help to and less, and it's how they're distributing money. Now, what you look then is that testing companies change out the p-value of the question. So if test scores get too high, then tests get harder. And the other thing that happens is this. Your school figures out how to do better on this, okay? Your test scores go up, right? Next, your your sub, you have less uh, discrepancy between your subgroups. Now, school B comes over and says to you, hey, how'd you do that? So the next thing you know, you figure, they figure out how you did it. Scores constantly go up. So if scores get too high, then what state departments do is one of two things. They spend about three or four years changing out the p-value of the test, and then they announce that they're going to have a new test. The state of Texas has changed their state assessment name and test six times, okay, in the last 30 years. The bottom line is they constantly do it. They're ratcheting up the level of difficulty of tests, and because NAEP is doing the same thing. So you're exactly correct. It is a moving target. So I want to show you how you can work with that moving target. There's some real predictabilities, um, how you can make that happen. So having said all that now, okay, let's talk about your PLC five-step process right now, okay? And I want to start now with this because this is what you've been told to use in one of the things then is how we begin to make this happen. So between this step and one, you have to insert this step. And I want to explain why, okay? Um, you have to start with students. On your five-step PLC process, it says you start with the learning objectives. I just got to tell you, if you do that, you're never going to get anywhere, okay? What you have to start with, you want to get there, but it's not where you start, okay? And what you start with is the five-step. You start with this grid. So here's what you want to do. And interestingly enough, in your grid, these are, the, these are what the feds require. By race, by socioeconomic status, by limited English professions and by disability. Now, what you have on your grid is only by race and by disability, but you are actually held accountable to these other groups, all right? So one of the things, you don't track first by standard. You track by student and subgroup. And so let me explain why, okay? And what we've seen across the United States with many, many schools. Every state I've ever, I've been in all 50 states. I've worked in all 50 states. 
In the last 20 years, I have spoken to over a million educators. Okay, so I've been hundreds. I don't care what state you're in. Okay, they're all held under these feds kind of guidelines and basic constructs. So what you do, and I'm going to ask you to do this in your PLCs before we get together, but you're going to take like on your PLC thing, you're um, three categories there, proficient, near proficient, and not proficient. And you are going to, by name, by student name, you are going to put whether they fell in the proficient category, the near proficient, or the non-proficient. And I want to explain why you want to do that. And you want to do it by name, by race. African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic, more than two races, disability. And since 80% of your kids are free and reduced, I think that's one of the reasons why it's not on your chart. But I would do some guessing if I were you, because one of the ways you can figure it out is you just ask kids, what do you do with your leftover food? And if they tell you there's no leftover food, it's gone, there's not enough, you know right away they're probably on free and reduced lunch, okay? I just always ask that to kids. What are you doing with your leftover food? It's one of the fastest ways to figure out, okay? Um, But if you ask them if they have enough to eat, they'll say yes. If you ask them, what did you do with your leftover food? You find out better answers. Now, one of the things is, and you put kids' names here. If you look at your, your what's on your website, is they give you 80% who've actually done the paperwork. But under federal law, you have the right to not rely upon that paperwork. You can rely upon a community assessment. The feds allow you to do it out. So that's probably one of the reasons it's not on there. Okay, when the state disaggregates data, they disaggregate on an individual name basis. So let me explain something. What you have to do when you do this chart, and this is how you figure out subgroups, the state is keeping track of your kids by social security number, by name, by number, okay? And they are calculating how many kids fall in this category, this category, this category, this category, this category. And they are tracking growth based on how many are moving up, okay? So one of the things we do, let me show you. You have to know in your, I looked online, and one of the reasons this chart becomes really important right here is that it's telling you how many students you have at each grade level. It's telling you how many you have by race. And what we've learned is this, uh, you have to have 80% of your kids of each subgroup in that top category of proficient if you're going to do well on state assessments. So one of the things we look at is out of 217 sixth graders, you have to have 80% of them in that top group, okay, if you're going to do okay. So if 80% of 20 of, well, 80% of 200 is 160 kids. And so what we're looking at is we go back to this chart and here's what we're calculating out. Let me show you how it works. 
And you have to do this for each grade level, okay, in reading, in math, and science, so whatever's getting tested, okay? And you have to calculate every kid. So step one for middle school is this. You go through your sixth grade roster and you look to see the names of all the students who you are legally held responsible for. Those are all the students whose names the state is holding you accountable to. Okay. I worked at the middle school in Texas and we went through every teacher's roster. Okay. And we, we may, I got a master list from the counselors of who was assigned to that school for sixth grade, who was assigned for seventh grade, and who was assigned for eighth grade. We went through that roster and every teacher checked the kids they had on that roster. And we found that 20 of the kids were not assigned to any teacher, 20 kids at every grade level who no teacher had in their class. See, let me explain why, how that happens in middle school. All right, let me just say a little bit about this. What you want to do is look at the names of the kids, okay, uh, and put them in there. So if you have in sixth grade, and in the course, if you have 80 African-American students, you're going to have to have 80% of them in that top group if you're going to be okay, which would be 64 kids, okay? If you have 100 Caucasian, you need to put 80% of them there, which would be 80 kids. And so what we do is we, by name, calculate who we have to move, all right? And what happens is this. That's how the state's measuring growth. Then you can go to your PLC chart and look at the number of kids who took that test and how they did on objectives. But the state keeps track of your data based upon how much growth you're getting in, within each subgroup and whether there's a discrepancy between the two. So the first thing is, do you know where all your kids are? Are they in somebody's class? And then the second thing you've got to calculate is where are they on this, on this uh, subgroup number, okay? Um, because what we look at then is that we count and move kids. So this might be a step that's not related to your PLC process, but I know principals that do this. They take those little one-inch sticky notes and they have in their office a chart paper. This is how they keep track of individual kids. They have in their office a chart paper of all the kids' names at each grade level. And then what they do is they put each kid's name on a sticky note and they calculate where they are and what they have to do to move them up into groups. And then they look at from subgroup to subgroup to subgroup, what percent of kids are in each subgroup, because that's how you're going to deal with the discrepancies in subgroup. Now, what we've learned, I want to show you a couple of things we've learned over time. It's very purposeful, okay? Because you're, they're keeping your data by numbers of students, okay? So what you want to know is what's the number and the percent of kids so for your African-American students, are they making the same growth as your Caucasian students? Are they making the same growth as your Hispanic students, as your dual race students? Are they making the same amount of growth? Now, I'll just say one thing here. We have learned this. Every one of you got a copy of this book, all right, Research-Based Studies. 
what we've learned is this. If you want to, if you have this group in this top group, all right, we divide that group into half and then we keep figuring out how we move those kids up, all right? Near proficient to proficient, if you use the strategies in this book, you can move them in one year, okay? Not proficient to near proficient, it takes on the average two years to move those kids up, okay? So one of the things we find is that we're constantly having a conversation about who can we move up? What do we need to do for this kid to move them up so that we have equity in our subgroups, okay? So I wanna go back to a question. Do we consider that proficient is 55% on a state test or do we use the benchmark scores given to you? I'm gonna say you're gonna to wanna to use your benchmark scores. Let me explain something. If you're using normed reference tests, a 50% on a normed reference test is equal to an 80% on a criterion reference test. That's why your proficiency starts at 80%. Testing companies take the same questions and you can take the same questions and make them either normed reference or proficiency, okay? What you do is this, if you wanna make it proficiency, then you look at the p-value. So you say, this was our population we tested. They were 50% poverty. They were 80% uh, Caucasian. They were 10% disabled. They were 10% minority, whatever, okay? Their parents had this level of educational attainment. And then what they say is based on how they responded to these questions, we give this a p-value of, and the p-value is the percent of kids that got it right. So one of the things is if a testing company wants to make a test harder, what they do is they just change out the p-value of the question, okay? What if you use released questions from previous state tests to assess proficiency? Yes, I really recommend that. And we're gonna talk about why that's critical. One of the things we know is that you want to use those practice tests from the state quite a bit. 